So I'm also looking forward to the message of Boris Kreshenko. And also Sister Joela of the Sisters of Mary, she will also be there. She will come with a team of her sisters. So I believe the Lord has prepared great things. So the coronavirus won't um, stop the conference, but God will crown us. God crowns you with grace and mercy. He's a good God. Amen. So that's also why it's a great pleasure to stand here and preach the word of God today. He is the one who blesses. Many of us have experienced that. So before, I would like to ask a question. Who of you has experienced miracles of God during the past week? Did he heal you or do whatever? Just lift up your hand and wave at me. So there are many hands here. So who has experienced um, that God took you out of a disaster in general? So you weren't doing well, but suddenly he changed your weakness changed your disaster and now you can say God changed my life give me your hand wow keep your hand up <laughs> so a couple of th these are almost all hands here so just a while ago someone approached me and said well you toss people all of you you were doing so well and um, I said, you know, right now, yes, it's true, but it wasn't always like that because God's the expert in changing a curse into a miracle. And if you are here and you're not doing well, then you're in the right place because God will turn your curse and your disaster, your problem into a blessing. He makes everything new. Amen. So, we're not people, so as Christians, we're not people who book success. But God has just simply changed our minus into a plus. That's what our friend Reinhard Bonke used to say. He's now worshiping the Lord uh, in heaven, having a heavenly worship conference that will never end. So, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay. My dear friends, my sermon is fitting into this time. I don't know if we can beam the title on the screens here, but it's called Wash Your Hands and Cleanse Your Hearts. It's also a Bible verse. And you can find the verse in James 4, verse 8. There you read, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So this week I saw a listing, and I will tell you when you should beam it on the screen. And in this list I saw differences between successful people and unsuccessful people. And I was interested in that because who doesn't want to have success? Can I see your hands? Are there some people who want to have success? That's not forbidden to want this because God wants us to be blessed and I thought wow this list um, you could probably look at in every management seminar 
So I looked a little bit closer and thought, let's look at this in the introduction of my sermon. So successful people and unsuccessful people. Now, say to your neighbor to the left and right, you are also, of course, on the list of the successful people. So we always want to start with the successful people. Successful people read every day. And unsuccessful people watch TV every day. <laughs> now, don't say ouch all the time I'm listing up. But successful people give compliments and unsuccessful people criticize. <laughs> it's so nice to see this on the screen, it looks so great. So successful people see and celebrate changes, and unsuccessful people, they fear changes. Successful people forgive others. Managers um, are talking about this in seminars, and these managers are not Christians. Unsuccessful people are angry against others. Successful people talk about ideas. Unsuccessful people talk about people. I know you're not taking pictures of me, but I know you're taking pictures of the screen behind me. <laughs> Successful people learn consistently. Unsuccessful people already know everything. Ask your neighbor, do you already know everything? Successful people take responsibility for their mistakes. Unsuccessful people make other people responsible for their mistakes. Successful people are grateful. Unsuccessful people have claims. Successful people put themselves goals and have a plan for their life. Unsuccessful people never make goals. I really like this list and I wanted to share this with you and I thought how and where can I fit this into my sermon but then I had a saving thought what do successful people do when they are infected with the virus <laughs> maybe it sounds a little bit funny but what I actually want to say with this is that all the success when everything we do you know and, and this list is important it's great but it's not helpful at all if you are confronted with a completely different problem and that's what it's about I mean, no sermon fits better in this time. Wash your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hands, you doubters. And isn't that interesting what's happening right now worldwide? Well, before we thought the virus is far away in China, I don't know if you felt the same, but maybe you also thought, it's so far away, I have nothing to do with it. And then we saw how people were um, closed up and put away, and cities were empty, people left their homes or were cut in their, um, put in their homes, isolated, and we thought, you know, it's far away. But meanwhile, it's different. Uh, we have alarm 
state, states here in Europe. And the coronavirus has arrived in Germany. People who read the news know more. The German Feder Federation um, made a safety call. They're giving out numbers of how many people are infected and where the areas are that should be warmed. And doctors are searching for an antivi antivirus. Um, other people are isolated in Germany. The infection chain shall not be go gone on going on, but it shall be stopped. And, you know, all these things we hear in the news. But in, on Friday, we had a very powerful prayer night and a doctor here from Tübingen, she calmed us down a little bit and she said, um, we doctors, we, we treat this very normal, we handle it in a normal way. But I also want to talk about the other side. We know the numbers, 80% of the people who are infected um, are yeah, not harmed, the other 20% are able to die from this. And then we ask ourselves, where is this coming from? There are many conspiration theories, maybe in a gene labor something was done wrong, um, maybe some others say <laughs> it comes from bats or in snakes or whatever. But meanwhile, there are more infected people in other nations than in China itself. And the question is, what do we do now? And here you find answers. You can sneeze into your arm and wash your hand. So if you, <laughs> if you sneeze into your arm, how do you hug each other then? Anyways, you have to um, yeah, find out a good way. We know these things, these uh, things are not new, but the question is the, the spiritual message behind it. That's what I care about. What's the message? I believe, yes, there is a spiritual message, and the message is in this word, James 4, verse 8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And this reminded me of a movie, um, it is called The Medicus, and it takes place in the Middle Ages, and the main actor came into a Jewish area at some point, and he liked the area of medicine. And one topic was talked about, which was that the Jewish um, rate of survival in ages like that was higher than for the rest of the population. And the reason why was because they have washed their hands because of the rituals they had. And they do this until today. It is called etilat yadarim. They... they um, do this ritual hand washing with a blessing, they speak then. And the background of it was completely spiritual. It was not also just about having nice uh, washed hands, that was also a reason, but you can read this in the Old Testament that on the way to the tabernacle, there was a big, big um, a cup of water and the high priest which was Aaron and his sons were supposed to wash their hands before they entered the um, before they entered the tabernacle and they were also meant to wash the feet 
Deuteronomy 30, verse 21. They shall wash their hand and feet so that they won't die. And that was a sign that they couldn't they, that they couldn't um, stand before God in an unholy way. And the hands represent the things we receive. Hands represent what we do and for what we pass on, that what your hands stand for. It can be good, but it also can be bad, right? You can receive good things or bad things. You can do good things and you can do bad things. We can pass on good things or we can pass on bad things curse or blessing and your feet represent the places where we go to we can go to places of blessing or we can go to places that God doesn't like and the question is is there a message for this coronavirus and as far as I can remember back it's been a couple years there have been epidemics before. There have been sicknesses gone throughout the world, but in a measure like this, I don't remember it. So what's the message? And the message is quite easy. The first message is human being, you are not God. See, in the Bible there have been times in which the human being has recognized that his opportunities and possibilities are limited. And although there are powers of um, military, of economics in China and USA and whatnot, human beings are limited and we realize that through just a small virus that can pull down everything. That's what God says. Listen up, human being. Remember, you are not God. In a time in which people make themselves God, put themselves in the center and say and act as if there was no God. The greatest economic and military power cannot stop this little virus. And then we are in a time of globalization. Open borders, everyone's welcome, borders are wide open, but seem, it seems that this virus um, makes people being isolated. People have to be protected. Hygiene standards are, are lifted up. Is that strange? The Bible is very clear. It warns that if a human being dominates its himself over God and makes himself center of the universe, God takes consequences. He will come with judgment then. And that's the first message. Human being, you are not God. There are things you can't control. Even the ways of infection, you cannot control them. The second aspect. We can read that Jesus and his disciples, it's written in Luke 21, verse 31, they, they are standing together and they are talking about something. And then they start to speak about a time, in w which is called the last time, the end of the age. This is the time before Jesus returns. Let's read some verses in this. Here Jesus says, a time will, will come 
in which no stone will stand on the other. He means the temple. Not one stone will be left on another. And about 40 years later, that happened, the temple was destroyed. And then the teacher, the disciples asked, when will these things happen and what are the signs that we can recognize? Jesus replied a couple of verses later, a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Some read this and are scared. And in a different verse we read that these times will be like the pain of a pregnant woman before she births. It will come again, it will um, repeat itself in uh, many ways, so it will repeat itself um, c closer to the return of Christ. Pandemies and um, pestilences are always an opportunity for people to return and repent back to God. They are a sign of judgment over people who have turned away from God. And it's not because God is a bad God, but because human beings have um, distantiated themselves farther and farther away from God. Human being has mm, dominated itself above God and he just left God. You have to imagine that this is an area of blessing and grace and love of God and the more we leave this place, the more we um, become pride and um, lift ourselves up as God, the more we live in darkness. I want to see this very clearly. People are not infected because they are sinners. That's not what I mean. A virus or pestilence can be a call of God to wake up, a call to a world that lives in sin. It's a chance to, to turn to, to God. It's a sign of the, um, of the moving of God, the working of God. And it's a call from God. Hey, listen and look. This is not a coincidence. It's not nature. But God is in charge. He's always in control. He's so good and faithful that you can recognize just by a, a single virus that he is the only one to change the world. You know, the world has power and money and whatnot, but you know, we see that supermarkets are empty, sold out. I want to ask you, maybe you were here for a long time in church, maybe you're here for the first time or you're watching online from nations, but my question is, how do you live? How do we live? How do we live? If we believe that human being is the center of the world, if you live like that, the consequence is always fear. Or how do you live if you don't have a God that is there for you personally and has held his hand over you? You can only live in panic and fear if you don't know that there's a God who, who is having his hand over you, who is in control over your life. I want to ask you, who tells you that your self-made picture of God can help you out of your fears? 
There's so many people we talk to have so many images and ideas of how God is and how nice or not nice, how far or close he is. But what if the living God is completely different? I want to ask you, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know that you are so sure that it's this God and that this God protects you and helps you? Or is it just your own idea? Who do you believe in? What makes you so sure that your idea and your imagination of the living God gives you peace that is above all conscience. And the message is that God gives you grace and mercy. He doesn't want someone, anyone to become infected. He doesn't want to give you corona, but he wants to give you a crown. Because he's merciful and gracious. Psalm 103. Do you like this psalm as well? Praise the Lord, my soul. Do not forget the good things he has done to you. He forgives you all your sin and heals all your pain and redeems your soul. And here, here, here it comes. He crowns you with grace and mercy. And that's not over yet. He makes your mouth happy. This is the motto of the future TSM 50 plus. Psalm 91, his truth is a shield and salvation that you do not have to be afraid of the pestilence at night or the punishment of by day. Who knows the verse comes that comes now. Even if thousands fall to your left and ten thousands fall to your right, it won't hit you. And this speaks about a time that prepares the coming of Jesus. We Christians call this the end of ages. And there's no construction um, instruction of how you can uh, walk through it. And um, this will happen and the next thing is that and whatnot. There's no agenda, but there are clear signs that are coming and approaching. And some of us think this is a time it will happen in the future, but I believe that it has already started. We are already in the middle of this time. And the good thing is that we know the end. The end is that Jesus will return as judge and as redeemer, as judge and as king. It's interesting if uh, you look at some prophecies in the Bible and if you look at what has already happened of them. Many things have already been fulfilled that was prophesied. Prophecies of the end times. You know, these are not just stupid thoughts, but these are real things, practical things. 600 before Jesus, before Christ, that was the time of the prophet Ezekiel, there was a prophecy when the people of Israel were in the Babylonic exile. 
it was prophesied that Israel will exist as a nation again. And 30 years after Christ, in the story of Acts, that was, that was pathetic. The temple was destroyed. The people of Israel were taken captive. It was not... It, it was not to be imagined that the people of Israel will have a land again. Babylonians have completely um, eliminated the people of Israel. And now, 2,000 years later, Israel's back. The nation has been found. In Ze Zechariah 8, verse 7, there's a prophecy that Jews from all over the world will come back to the home of their fathers. And that was curious back in the day, because they were everywhere in the world. Jews were everywhere in the world. But 2,000 years later, the majority of Jews are living in Israel again. Mark 13, verse 8 speaks about a giant storm and earthquake. Some say, yes, they have been there always, but now, listen. Today, we speak of the half time and even more of 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 high waters uh, that have not been since centuries. Luke 21 verse 11 speaks of pestilences and curses, epidemics. And it's interesting that um, we have nothing to put against these things. Mark 13 speaks of famines. Matthew 24 speaks that love will become cold and Christians will fall away from God. There will be more hatred and rejection. And that's what we see in the middle of Europe. Every second marriage is divorced. Zechariah 12 verse 2, the hatred against Israel will, will rise. And that's also true. The rejection and the hatred of Israel is, is very um, recent. Zechariah 12, verse 3. Jerusalem will become um, the reason why the nations fight. And then it goes on in that verse that um, if you go too deep into this dispute, you will not stand stable anymore. And many nations have not put their embassy, they have left their embassy from Jerusalem, and I believe that's the result. And in Mark 13, 23, Romans 13, 11 to 14, it says we shall recognize the time we live in. Many of these things I just told you about have already come into existence. Some not, but it comes closer. The question is, how do we treat this? How do we act? And you know, not the things that happen right now are the very end. There will be, there, there will be things coming that are even more. But the coronavirus is a, a call of God to the nations to bow our pride knees and to return to Him. And we should say that He alone is God. Let's look at this word again. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. 
and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And that word is someone who doubts. What does Jesus mean with this? There's a story you can read in all of the Gospels. Matthew 8, 1 to 4. It's about a healing of a leopard. I want to read this briefly to you because it's interesting how many parallel things we can see to today's time. Some things have changed, but not some not. The method of how you deal with a virus or um, epidemic has not changed. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So, the leopards they were those who were infected and if there was um, a hint that they are infected they were isolated for 14 days and during that time if um, it was tested and approved that they had the symptoms they had to leave through to so-called risico areas and there were also other people that were cut off with them. Um, it, th it was the so-called yeah, quarantine area. And those who had leprosy were called impure. If they had to walk through town, other people uh, uh, screamed at them, impure, impure. So everybody else could see that they were infected and people could um, um, protect them, not because they um, were also infected, but they didn't want to get infected. And we know that leprosy also represents sin. If we look at the story, we don't really know who the man with leprosy was. Maybe you have thought about this, or maybe not. Maybe the man with leprosy was a doctor. Maybe he was a teacher. Maybe he was a carpenter, maybe a student, a housewife. It doesn't say who it was. It was simply an infected man. That's interesting, right? These borders, they, um, they jump back and forth. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much education you had, how much power you have, completely not not important and sin doesn't know borders as well sin infects everyone nobody can say oh I'm not a sinner whether you are mighty you know maybe you are responsible but doesn't matter, you will also sin. Sin is highly infected. 
infectious and it can kill and it cannot be treated in a human way oh uh, you can go to the hospital you can take medicine you can do whatever you can train your body you can make a list and do things but sin cannot be treated in human ways you can isolate people uh, you can make them become religious you can motivate them to become more hygienist but you can't get rid of sin by yourself why and that's why I'm using this word a sinner always does the following it puts sin puts a human being the crown on his head sin always puts itself above God even if you don't see it sin always says I myself am God I don't need God sometimes we don't phrase it and we would deny it if somebody tells it but we live like that and maybe God is somewhere he cares about me or not but actually I live as if God is not alive and the Bible calls this rebellion against God there are many people and I was one of them they simply try to be good and they think that's the way of how it is right you are doing a hard work and you won't harm anyone but the Bible says you are not better than a murderer a thief you're not better than someone who commits adultery and we are characterized by humanism and by the enlightenment and these things have spoken to us that we have a good heart of course we have to get better a little bit and read good books and motivate ourselves you can try to change yourself and work on yourself but if you are honest what's in your thoughts what's in your heart is there perversion is there murder is there darkness and that's what the Bible talks about there is no one who's righteous not one single person Romans 3 verse 10 and I want to ask you something very personally it's a personal question whether you are somewhere in the nations watching this service or if you sit here in the rows who tells you that you can make it before the living God the way you live right now there is only one way and that's the return to Jesus Christ he is the son and the redeemer of the living God there's only one way even if you don't hear this in churches anymore in 2nd Corinthians 5 verse 21 it says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God he went to the cross for you he did not know any sin he was the son of the living God his name is Jesus and he looked at you personally he looked at me and he saw how you tried to do well do good things do right things 
But you could not get rid of sin and infections. And then when he was at the cross, he looked at you and he say, said, I take your sin on me so that you can become righteous, so that you can make it before the Heavenly Father. The Bible says, call to me, call on my name. And many people say, oh yes, yops, let me think about it, but it's not enough. It needs a decision. No matter what background you come from, if you have a Christian background, humanist background, atheist background, I don't care. At some point, God says, you have to call on my name. You have to approach me. Call upon me. Jeremiah 33 verse 3. Call upon my name and I will answer to you and will show you great miracles that you have not known about. We have our imaginations about God, but do you really know him? We have our thoughts and ideas of him, but have you met him yet? Have you called upon his name? Have you tried? Only if you stand before him and if you say, Lord, I don't know, but I don't want to live like that anymore. There's infection in me. I can wash my hands, but my heart is not purified through your grace. And I want this. Lord, I call upon you. Maybe you do this in your despair situation, in your disability. God says, yes, that's the point where I meet you. I'm not waiting for perfect prayer. I'm not waiting for a perfect religious package that you represent. I'm not waiting for your promise and all the things you want to do for me. I'm just waiting for you, simply for you. Romans 10 verse 10 to 13 says, whoever believes in the heart becomes righteous. You have to believe with your heart. The heart represents your openness, your willingness. If you believe in your heart, that doesn't mean you have a th theologic um, answer. You simply have to say, yes, I agree with you, Lord. I say yes. And maybe I'm shaking and I'm afraid, but I say, yes, Lord, here I am. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. That's what we do when we pray and say, Lord, be gracious to me. I'm a sinner. And God says, yes, that's what I want to hear. And that's humility. That's humbleness. And he gives grace to those who are humble. I believe we can learn from the leper. And see, a leopard approached him and fell down before him. I don't know who he was, but he was so... Oh, he was willing. He was determined. He knew one thing and he said, I'm going to the right address. You know, we go to people and doctors and philosophers and people who give us seemingly great answers and we all believe them. Why? Go to the right address. Go to Jesus. And that leopard, he said, I'm going to Jesus now. And he fell down before him. And falling down, kneeling down, is an expression of humbleness. He said, Lord, I have nothing how I hold in my hands anymore. And he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He was so humble. 
He said, Lord, I need help, and if you want to, then please help me. I have no, I have no request to you, but please cleanse me from my sin. And if Jesus sees something like that, he reacts. And Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man, and said, I am willing. See this leopard? We read that there was a crowd of people that followed Jesus, hundreds, thousands, maybe others, and they knew the leopard man. But the man with leprosy, he didn't stop. He came to Jesus. So don't let yourself be stopped from people, from circumstances, from the things that other people might think about you. It's only about you and Jesus. And Jesus says, I am willing. Jesus says, I want to touch you. Not maybe if you eventually do it right, but he says, I want to. I want to meet you with my grace and love. And then we read here that Jesus reached out his hand. And sometimes when you come forward to the altar call and pray with someone, these are just these little steps. And sometimes we carefully pray. But actually it's just the expression of saying, Jesus is touching you right now. And then Jesus comes with his peace and love in your life. He touched him with his love. And I remember when I came to Jesus for the first time, my head was full of thoughts, full of doubts, and the way I was raised, in my head I was full of envy, but however, there was a passion and a hunger inside of me. I said, if, I, if, if, I, if this God is alive, I want to know him. And I couldn't feel anything before. I had no solution, but I just came to Jesus and he touched me with his love. He touched me with his grace. And he will do the same with you. Jesus speaks. Talk about what you experience with Jesus right now. Because the love I give you, the forgiveness that you receive, you don't just receive this for yourself. You always receive it so that you can pass it on to others. I will make you a channel and a source of my blessing. My dear friends, let us stand together and then we want to pray. Maybe the worship team can come forward, please.